tonight, I'm going to mess with your mind. And I don't mean figuratively. I mean literally cause changes inside your brain. <laughs> because every time you learn something new, your brain has to make new electrical chemical pathways and connections in order to store that. And unfortunately, some of the most amazing things in life have not been taught or have not been taught well. So I guarantee you're going to learn something new. Your brains will literally grow. Yeah. Now, this night is for you. So if I start, see, I've, I've, I've studied this stuff for so long. To me, it's just really second nature. So if I'm explaining something and you're not getting it, uh, just stop me. Say, oh, whoa, whoa, slow, slow, repeat. <laughs> because this night's for you. The only thing I'm trying to do is get information for you to be able to use, both for yourself and especially those around you who are just outside the church doors who we need to get in. All right, so I'm going to start. First thing I want to do is, now, there's several parts. We're going to talk about what the actual relationship is between science and religion. We're going to talk about the greatest discovery in science, which answers that question for us. What's the real relationship? And then we're going to talk about the scoreboard. Now, before that, though, first I want to show you that this is going to be worth your time. I appreciate you guys coming in on a Sunday night. It means you already know where to put your investments, where it's going to pay off. So good for you. But I still want to show you why this topic is important. And the thing that kind of leads me to it is kind of a, is a connection. So I love nature shows. But I usually don't like the ones where I'm seeing animals get killed. But there was this one that just grabbed me. It was the lions and the hyenas on the savannah. Now... That one, if there's, if there's actual something like hate in the animal world, it's lions and hyenas. This show, it focused on a lion's pride. Now, lions, they are nature's, the, cat, the big cats, they are nature's pure athlete. They are just awesome athletic specimens. They are the top apex predator on the savanna. However, what this show was showing is even the top predator can become prey and get damaged or just taken out. And that's what was happening. The, this hyena, I think they call it a hyena cackle or a hyena um, uh, pack. What they were doing to this lion pride, that's what their group of lions that was living in this area, was they were just being smart about it. And the lions are equipped with everything they need to wipe these hyenas out, but they weren't using it, and they were paying for it. You would have older lions get caught, taken out. You would have younger lions getting trapped by a bunch of hyenas taken out. You constantly had the lion cubs getting snagged, dragged away, taken out. The hyenas became so bold that one time when the lions, the messed up pride, was out looking, just trying to get some food and trying to survive, these hyenas went to where the lion's den was, and they marked their territory over the entire den. They urinated on every little part of it. Then they went to this place where they could cross, because it was right at a river's edge. They went to where they could cross the river, came back on the other side of the river, directly across from the pride, and just waited for the lions to come back. When they came back, those hyenas started doing their, their eerie little laughing, their cackling, and the, the alpha hyena goes right up to the river's edge and just starts doing that, that really eerie kind of laugh, while the lions came back and were like, whoa. Now, unfortunately, 
This is how I'm viewing our Christian church in this country. In the savanna of beliefs, where you have all these different belief systems competing, they all contradict each other on the core issues. So only one of them, at most, can be the apex. If Christianity is accurate, which means it fits reality, then it is on a level that no other belief system can reach. And it will be supported by reality in every field of study on a level that no other belief system can reach. We will be at the apex. But that does not mean we're safe. If we do not use what we've been given, because God said he'll equip us to demolish all arguments and pretensions set up against the knowledge of God. But if we're not using this, then we're going to get picked apart like that lion's pride, and we are. The evidence is rolling in. I can give you tragic stories, like the example of the Marine who called a buddy of mine in tears and was basically saying, my daughter, who was our youth group leader, who went, was going to go to North Carolina campus and win it over for Christ, even before the first semester was over, called and said, yeah, I'm coming home for Christmas, and I'll go to church with you because I want to be with you, but I don't believe it anymore. All the studies on this have shown if you look around at youth, you look around any evangelical Christian church and you look at the youth, the majority of them will walk away from the faith shortly after walking away from the home. And the reasons that they give are all the same. I believe in science now, not religion. I had a bunch of questions and I wasn't getting answers. In fact, Aaron Rodgers and Katy Perry, they were both raised Christian. They both walked away because they said, I was getting no answers. They just said, I just believe it. That is a very dangerous situation. And not to mention, for the rest of us, we're supposed to always be prepared to have an, give an answer to a reason for the hope that we have for anyone who asks. And the way Jesus did it is he gave people the answers that they needed. Our culture, now, there's, a, I mean, God's spirit. He reaches to us in spirit. And we ha he gives us personal experiences. There's all that. However, our culture doesn't, when they're asking, say, give me a reason to believe, they're not going to listen to your personal experience because it doesn't, it's not personal to them. Our culture worships science. And that's bad, but it's okay because it can be used because science is totally supporting Christianity. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today is we want to give you not only a support that you can use from science. Today we'll have time for maybe one, maybe two things that you can use from science to directly point to the biblical God. And then we're also going to try to answer if you have specific questions that you want answered. So keep those in mind. You can stop me at any point. If I can't get to it because we're going with the flow, then I'll go and I'll come back with it. All right. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> Notice, the guy has the equipment he needs, but he's not in a position to use it. <laughs> now, a lot of people feel that they're ready, but let's test. We can test right now to see if you're ready. Now, you're not going to be able to read these from where you're at, but I'll just, I'm going to give you a couple questions. I want you to take a couple minutes to think about how you'll answer it, 
And then we're going to test you. We'll see how well you can answer these. Here's the first question. So Stephen Hawking wrote a book uh, before he passed away, and he basically said, you know, as science continually advances, we're just pushing the need for God right out the door. In fact, we don't even need God to be the cause of the universe. We know that now we can just have quantum gravity to cause the universe. So why am I going to believe that your God created the universe instead of what Stephen Hawking says? Why, why would I believe your science instead of his? So that's one question. How would you answer that? Think about it. Another one. All right, yeah. In a conversation, your friend might say, why did you believe in the Bible? That was written thousands of years ago by people. And just like the telephone game, over time, changes happen. We don't even know what was originally written. And why should I believe your Bible instead of the Quran or the Vedas? They make the same claims as you, that it's from God. So think about that, and we'll start calling on some people, see how, what kind of answers we have. Okay. Any volunteers? Ooh, we got a brave one. But I'm not going to pick a volunteer. I'm going to pick... Okay, I lied. I'm not going to pick anybody. <laughs> but how many of you were thinking, oh, please, God, don't let him pick me. Please, 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 God, don't let him pick me. <laughs> yes. Okay, now, don't feel bad about this. It's not your fault. When you kick God out of the schools because you don't want to indoctrinate, then you get indoctrinated into naturalistic atheism because you're saying, well, we can teach you everything without God involved. And who's going to pick up the slack? Church leadership or parents? <laughs> parents have to worry about their whole family's survival. They're focused on that. They don't have time to specialize in physics, math, logic, and so on. Church leaders, they have the whole church family to worry about. They don't have the time. What should have been happening is experts in the fields who are sitting in the pews needed to stand up and start giving you some information. So you're going to find, well, I can tell you, here's, here's the results. Atheists now, they're doing a thing called street epistemology, or street epistemologists, they call themselves. What they're doing is they're doing what, <laughs> the way that I say to evangelize, They've taken some of my points, thankfully not all of them, but they've taken some and they're using them very effectively to what their goal is, stated goal, is to go into churches, universities, all these public places and convince um, people in religion to walk away from that foolishness. So what they'll do is they'll come up and say, well, why do you believe what you believe? And they're videotaping all this with their GoPro. And say, well, you know, the Bible says this. Yeah, well, why would you believe in the Bible? And then they, but they're doing it super gently super nice, and they just keep asking questions, asking you to support your faith. And then they have you videotaped, and if you look at the videos of how Christians answer, try to answer any of the common questions, well, doesn't God have just pushed them to do genocide in the Old Testament? What kind of God is that? Why is God so hidden if he wants us to believe in him? They say it nice, but they're asking these questions, and they're saying, well, why do you believe this? What is your support? And the Christians' answers that are posted online are cringeworthy. I can't watch it without just, oh. And if you're thinking, well, the atheists are just biased, they just do the worst videos. No, I've done the same thing. I videotape Christians. I go to church, church leaders and, and strong church youth groups, and I videotape them, and I ask them these questions. They, ha they do not have answers. They're stammering. 
There's making up stuff, and there's just embarrassment on their part. Because we just have, this is just some area that we've been missing. So that's what we're going for. Um, what I usually do is I have a, like a zero to 10 of how confident are you to contend for your faith? We're supposed to be equipped to demolish all arguments. So when you're seeing someone challenge, Chris, your beliefs, are you ready to stand up for it? And will you know you'll have good answers? Or if you want to share with somebody, are you totally ready to just jump in as soon as, you're, as soon as the Spirit leads you to do that? Are you ready to jump in with all confidence? Or are you afraid you might not have answers for them? I haven't had anyone say that they got a higher than a 6 out of 10 on this. And a 6 out of 10 is failing. There was a person who was brave enough like you over here that tried to say, I think I can handle some questions. So that person I made, I kind of went back and, you know, I had them. I was like, well, how do you answer this? And they, got, they just got wiped out. They started stammering. They started make, making up data. <laughs> it was bad. It was the last thing you want to do. All right. What the goal of this whole thing is, we want to give you some smooth stones. Where am I taking that from? David. When David was going against Goliath, he grabs up five smooth stones. We have five smooth stones. When I say that, of, I'm saying there's five main areas of arguments that are in science, logic, history, and so on that have been so studied over time and made so hard, there is no answer to them if you want to disbelieve in God. They're very strong supports for your belief in the exact areas our culture needs. We'll, we'll cover one of them today. Not my favorite one but it's a very good one. The other thing is, aside from having these smooth stones, we're not going to cover this, this right now, but I can tell you, with just three simple steps, there was a guy, uh, Greg Kokel, he has this book called Tactics. He covers it there. But with three simple steps, you can answer any question, any challenge against your belief at any time, even if you don't know anything about the topic. Now, that sounds like I'm a bad salesman giving you something that's total exaggeration, but it's true. It's been tested. We've taken um, some high school kids to UC Berkeley and had them debate graduate atheists and atheist authors, and this stuff works. It works because it's, we have an unfair advantage as Christians. Our belief system, if it is the one that fits reality, it's the only one that's going to reach a level like this where we have all the evidence. So that is, that's the goals we're kind of going after. So for tonight, first I want you to just recognize how serious this is. And in talking of losing our youth and our inability to answer questions right now, I hope it hits you as serious. Is there anyone right now thinking, eh, phew, this isn't that big of a deal, where you need a little bit more info? And don't feel bad if you do. Doubts are natural. Questioning me this is the safe place to do it. You can come after me hard if you want. My favorite is skeptics nights, where I'll go to a university or somewhere and just say, people who don't believe, this is who I want to talk to, come on in, hit me with all your questions. So if you have anything, just stop me and go ahead. All right, if, if I'm not getting anything for this, you, if, or if you're not comfortable yet, um, you can come see me after. But this is very serious. And it needs to be taken seriously if we want to not only help our youth, but to carry out the Great Commission. I mean, we need to have answers, and we need to have the confidence to go do it. If there's something holding us back, we need to deal with it. 
Second thing, I want you tonight just to get one smooth stone you can use from science to support your belief in God. And feel a bit more confident. Now, you're going to forget the vast majority of stuff that we cover today, especially when I start talking fast. But that's all normal. It doesn't matter. Because I'll have the, the stuff on my website. The main thing is this. If you hear it for the first time and you, you start getting it, if someone ever then asks you, well, I can't believe in God because of science, you can be like, you know what? I hear you. Let me get back with you on this, because that's important. Then you can go to the website, just get a quick review of it, and you'll be right on top of it. And then come back the next day and say, yeah, that was a good question you brought up. Here's something you should need. Here's something you can consider. All you got to do, God, what God wants, he doesn't care about, the res he doesn't care about you saving anyone, because you don't. <laughs> he does. He does the saving. He just needs you to get in the game. And all you have to do is stick one little itch in their brain that they can't scratch when they're trying to go to sleep at night. Because that's a scary thing. When you're trying to hold that door shut on God, and then you get that itch in your brain that, you know what, he's probably there. You think your doubts are bad. You should see atheist doubts or agnostics. That's some scary stuff. All right. When science and faith collide, they don't really collide, though. Let me give you the real relationship of what... First, let's talk about what science and religion really are. So, imagine that you have to be a night watchman of this gigantic house. But the owner says, well, you have to stay just in this little office here. How do you get to see the rest of the house? How do you make sure you monitor what's going on? Security cameras, that's it. From just this one little room, you can monitor the whole building with security cameras. If you have enough... Like, now there's going to be some large areas, like this large area would take a number of cameras. Some small little corners might also take different cameras at different angles to see the whole thing. But that's a good system. You can be on top of it. That's what we have been given in life. In the house of the universe, we have multiple cameras. Physics, math, logic, personal experience, history. We have all these different ways to view life and to learn what's up. We, we can know what's going on. Now, why are there different cameras? Well, think about it. Science has a particular point of view. Science, what gives science its power is it uses a scientific method. That's how it views the universe and gathers its information. So it has a particular point of view. And it can see a certain range of things. Think of any camera. You can see a certain range of things. Can science see everything? Absolutely not. If you believe that, you're not being scientific. And I can talk about that. Because some people used to believe that, but anyone who studies it dropped that about 100 years ago. Now, now I don't like using religion, because really, aside from having a negative stereotype in our culture, religion is just how you organize around a belief system. So let's use theology. Theology is the study of God. That's like science. Science uses a scientific method, though, Theology uses either a communication given from God in different ways, or the study of God. That's its viewpoint. That's how it gathers its information. Now, even though these are very two different ways to gather information, the thing is, there are parts where their circles actually cross each other and look at the same thing. And when they're looking at the same thing, 
that's where you really get answers to life because that's where you find out, oh, if they both confirm, this is good stuff. If they do conflict with each other, now you can look at one or the other and say, is this an apparent conflict or is this real? So that's where we get our answers, where science and faith or or theology interact. And that's exactly what we're going to look at now. So on your insert, we can already fill in some things. The real relationship between science and faith, theology, worldview, beliefs, whatever you want to say, is this. Both are simply, and you probably can't read it up there, but both are simply methods we use to gain knowledge or information, whatever you want to put, about reality. And notice I have the two cameras there with their different views, their different circles of what they're able to see, and how the circles interact. Now, notice the little arrow. My arrow is pointing to where they interact, and then pointing to the next spot, which says, in the, call it whatever you want, intersection, overlap, whatever you want to say. In the intersection of the different views, valuable tests for truth are found. This culture really is suffering from truth decay. They literally do not think truth exists. So when someone, I've actually had someone say, well, truth doesn't exist. I said, is that true? (laughs) See the problem? So you're giving me an absolute truth that truth doesn't exist. You just killed yourself. (laughs) Truth does exist. We base our lives on it. And if there's something after, we're basing that on it too, which is why it's very important that we look at these tests for truth. Now, here's the whole next paragraph. When Oprah Winfrey says, how can you believe Jesus is the only way? All these other, so you're saying with all these other different belief systems, your one way is right, every other way is wrong. That's narrow-minded, intolerant, and mean. No. The answer is, no, it's the only rational way to view it. There's something you call the law of contradiction. Look it up in Wikipedia. It basically says when two things contradict each other, they can't both be right at the same time. All the different worldviews contradict each other on the core issues. So only one, at most, can fit reality and be right. That's not intolerant, narrow-minded, or anything. It's just reality. In the... There was a Super Bowl that I actually really was... I cared about it. Um, So, and let's see. Let me just go to the last one. So the last one... I didn't care about this last one so much. In the last one, what were the teams? It was the Patriots again... Rams? Uh, that's right. That's right. I'm so sick of Patriots. <laughs> so, some people really wanted the Patriots to win. Some really expected the Rams to win. Some sad fools even thought my Detroit Lions had a chance. <laughs> but the bottom line is only one team won. That's not intolerant or narrow minded, it's reality. To say anything else is contradicting it. It's the same thing we have with beliefs. 
So now, because the different belief systems, when I say belief systems, those worldviews, faiths, whatever, when, because they contradiction, contradict each other, only one at most can fit reality and have the inevitable trend of a symbiotic relationship, which equals mutual support. Here's what this means. So there's a picture of the clown fish and the sea anemone. In biology, they have what's known as a symbiotic relationship. This stuff's all over in biology. So what happens is the sea anemone, which is on like a coral or a rock or whatever, it has all these tentacles with these barb, poison barbs on them. And when fish come in, they spike them and then they, kill, they digest the fish. Now, for whatever reason, the clownfish doesn't get touched by them. They don't bother with the clownfish. And the clownfish benefits the sea anemone. The clownfish eats out or all the debris, and swimming through there the way it does, it circulates the nutrients. That benefits the sea anemone, and the sea anemone protects that clownfish. You got some eel coming after you, clownfish is like, yo, whoa, whoa. So it's mutually beneficial and supportive. Whatever belief system fits reality will have mutually supportive relationship with science. That's just how it's going to happen. Now, will there be some apparent conflicts at times? Sure, people are involved. Whenever people are involved, you're going to have some apparent conflicts. But here's the new thing that no one has written about until this, this is what I added into it. Because symbiotic relationship, people have known about this. People have their opinions, their wants, their hopes about their beliefs. Everyone wants to be their own god. They want things to be the way they want to be. That's why there's so many different belief systems. But reality doesn't really care what you want. So in the end, wants and opinions and hopes, they can maybe help you believe what you want to believe for a little bit, but over time, you'll see a trend. If Christianity fits reality, over time, the supports will go like this, go up, 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 and the co apparent conflicts will start falling down. Any belief system that doesn't fit reality, their apparent support with science will start dropping over time. And that's exactly what we're seeing. With Christianity, the main attacks against Christianity are just falling and falling, and the supports, as science goes on and discovers more things, the supports just keep rising and rising. And we're going to look at one of those coming up with science's greatest discovery. Um, oh, the last little, it says, the rest, meaning all the other worldview beliefs that don't fit reality, will have inevitable conflict. And it won't just be with science. They'll also conflict with the history circle. They'll also conflict with logic and other areas of study. In your daily life, you'll see it. You'll see some of these things where they fit or don't. All right. <laughs> so, I'm going to be talking about science today, and when I do, about half the audience shuts their brain off because they're like, yeah, science isn't my thing, I do not like it. I'll just daydream about something else, the next show I'm going to watch or what I'm going to eat afterwards. But here's the thing, for those of you who are thinking science isn't your thing, no, science is all of our thing. You might not like the academic part where you've got to memorize all the terms and all this other stuff, but you use science every day since childhood. I'll give you an example from my, it is, it is literally one of my earliest memories. This was like a preschool or something, and it was the very first field trip. 
And I remember all of us getting out of the van, and we all had to hold hands walking through the parking lot. We go into the, we go into the museum, have someone read something to us. We go into the museum, so I sit down at one end holding hands, bunch of students, then the teachers here holding hands, more students, and then the last person was holding the hand of the museum guy who was going to read to us. He starts reading, I get bored within a minute or two. So I just start ignoring the story and just looking around, and I notice, huh, they're doing renovations, and there's an open electrical socket there. If I jam my hand in and hit all the wires, will it just shock me, or can I get it to go all the way around and get the guy who's reading to us? <laughs> now, literally, I remember like it was yesterday, I went through all the steps of the scientific method. I didn't know hypothesis, test, and data, but I did them. So the first step of the scientific method is observation or problem. My problem was, is it just going to get me or can I get that guy who's reading to us? Step two is my hypothesis or my theory or my model. I said, I remember thinking, yeah, I think I can get it to get, it to get that guy because I know my mom told me if I stuck something metal into the thing, it can go through the metal and get me. And I know when I hold a friend, I hold his hand and I grab on the electrical barbed wire fence, it can get him. So this might work. Step three is the test and data. That's the fun part. I jammed my hand in, made sure it hit all the wires that I saw, and a back-straightening jolt hit me and went all the way around and got the guy. <laughs> Step four, conclusion. Yes, I can get him. <laughs> Step five, share my results, which I'm doing now. So since childhood, this was natural. And we do this every day. You're coming up to an orange light, you know, the one between red and yellow and red. You, now, you don't do the physics actual calculation in your head, but you go, Am I, at my momentum, can I stop fast enough? Or, and you use your personal experience. Uh, has there been a lot of cops around here lately? You use observation. <laughs> you use your ethics, you know, could I hurt someone? Or this is versus me getting through this because I don't want to wait. So you put all those things together using the scientific method, and you come up with your conclusion. Now, for those people who say science and belief don't mix, they don't know, they don't understand what they're talking about. When you're with beliefs, we do this exact same thing. We have a problem to solve. Is there a God or not? We, we may have our hypo hypothesis, a theory, a model. It gets tested all the time, whether we like it or not. We get evidence coming into us all the time. And then we have to make our conclusion. And because only we are going to get the consequences of what comes from standing on reality, the belief that's true, or not. We better do this scientific method well. And we're going to apply the scientific method right now to see the relationship between science and beliefs with the greatest discovery of modern science. So, some people think the issue of beliefs is too hard, with all the information, misinformation, everything. oh, there's just no way we can figure it out. Well, that's because you never looked. If you looked, at a shallow view, they sound right. I mean, most of the arguments against beliefs sound really good at first. When you look into them, you realize they're not strong. Because this is how easy it is. Let's start with something we can all agree on. We exist. Now, you can have some people try to argue that, but there's, there's arguments for that too. But if we exist, there's only two possibilities. Either this existence, this entire universe, us, either we had a beginning, or there was no beginning and it just always existed. The natural stuff always existed, or it had a beginning. Those are the only two options.
This isn't too hard. Two options. Now, what are the theories? We're on step two of the scientific method. What are the theories or our models or hypotheses? Well, this is where it gets really interesting because it divides very cleanly. On the side that says there was a beginning, there is only the Bible. Now, this isn't some easy 50-50 thing. Either there was or there wasn't. Because on the other side, it's everything else. No one believed that the universe had no beginning. That doesn't make sense. Think about that. Now, if you've, if you've, depending where you're at and how much science you've got, you might already realize, yeah, we had a beginning. The universe had a beginning. But no one believed that. Everyone said, ah, oh, the sun came up, sun comes down, it did yesterday, it will today, it will tomorrow. The universe just always existed. Maybe it went through cycles. That's what Hindus and Buddhists think. Or it just always existed. That's what atheists think. That's what all of science thought and all of common sense throughout all of history. So we have a very clear division here. All belief systems, including atheism, agnosticism, science, and common sense, and the Bible. And the Bible not only said there's a beginning. I don't know if you guys realize this. The creation text isn't just in Genesis. Throughout the Bible, it gives, there's a whole bunch of places where it talks about creation. The Bible made a whole bunch of predictions about the universe. Predictions made 3,000 years ago. If you're in science, your brain is already buzzing because you realize making accurate predictions that no one should have known is one of the best tests whether a model is going to be on the right track or not. Possibly the best in most cases. So we have now, we had a problem. Either we had a beginning or we didn't. Step two, we have the models. The biblical model had one. Everything else was over here. Let's go to the data. Now, the data... If you want the reasons why we know we have a beginning to the universe, I can give them to you, but I don't want to take too much time on it right now. What I will say is, you'll see Einstein there looking through the tele he's looking through Hubble's telescope. Hubble is the guy whose Hubble, Hubble, um, the Hubble satellite was named after. Um, there's Penzias and Wilson, two Nobel Prize winners. Basically this, the people involved with the beginning of the universe study are some of the greatest minds in science biggest names, multiple Nobel Prizes awarded during this time, and they've called things surrounding this discovery as some of the, the greatest of modern science. And here's the bottom line. The tests are in. The data's already in. All of the evidence we have says the universe had a beginning. There is no evidence supporting that the universe is eternal, it always existed. When all of the evidence is on one side and no evidence is on the other, even a graduate from Ohio State University can figure out what that means. <laughs> you have to have some grace on me. I went to the University of Michigan and you guys have dominated us for 15 years and I have some <laughs> angst against you. <laughs> Thank you. They, I knew I would get that at this church. I knew I'd get the grace here. Here, I'll give you one thing, though, one, one evidence. There's a picture of the sun with a little uh, beaker full of hydrogen liquid in there. So every star you see shining is burning hydrogen as fuel. That's its gas. 
And later, they also burn helium, and later they burn some heavy elements. But the bottom line is this. If you fill your car up with gas only once, never fill it up again, what's going to happen? You run out of gas, that car's not going anywhere. Our universe started with a certain amount of hydrogen to burn and other elements. And even though it changes them into other elements, the bottom line is this. There's something, the second law of thermodynamics, entropy, and so on. Basically, the universe started with a certain amount of usable energy, and every moment, the nature of nature is, it's using it up. And eventually, we're going to run into what they call heat death, where all energy is used up, nothing is happening anymore. That's it. Now, if the universe had existed forever, we would have already ran out of gas an infinite time ago. So if you see one star shining up there, the universe had a beginning. That's just one evidence. But like I said, all the evidence supports the universe has a beginning. Okay. Now, what I'm going to give you right now, this is what a lot of people, this really hasn't been covered a lot because it ties too much in with God and public stuff doesn't want to teach you stuff that ties in with God too much. But what I'm going to give you now is, this is what modern science has found. This is how the universe began. So you're going to have that now. First, there was nothing. There was not anything. Some people think that there was some kind of vacuum of space. No, a vacuum is part of the space-time fabric. That's something. There was not anything. If you want a definition of not anything, Plato said it's what rocks dream about. <laughs> okay. There was nothing of the natural physical universe, not anything. There was not time going on. There was no space. There was nothing. Then all of a sudden, all of the matter, energy, space, and time came into existence. And when it came into existence, it was so dense, condensed together that not even light could escape. So even if you were right there looking at it, it was, you wouldn't see anything because there was no light coming out. Then it starts expanding and cooling following fixed laws of nature, and eventually you have this universe we have today. So you start with absolute nothing. You have the whole universe, space, time, anything natural, physical, energy, time, space. It all comes into existence. It's not visible, and, but it starts expanding following the fixed laws of nature. That's what science has found with the greatest discovery of modern science. That's what the Bible knew over 3,000 years ago. It's exact. If you look at your notes, I wrote it super small, so you need a magnifying glass, but, or young eyes. In Genesis 1-1, when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the heavens and the earth, it's actually a compound word. It shoved them both together. Shamayim, heavens, and Eretz, earth. It shoved them both together. When you do that, it doesn't mean heaven or earth. It's like butterfly. It doesn't mean butter or fly. It means something totally different. When you shove that together, like they did, it means absolutely all things in the entire existence of the universe, all natural, physical things, matter, energy, space, and time. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
is a statement that at first there was nothing, and then the entire natural universe came into existence, including time. That is, went against all common sense and all science up until they found out it was true, about 3,000 years later. The Bible also said that time had a beginning, and I show the verses where it says that. It says space and time began together. Um, there's verses for that too. And let's see, oh, <laughs> this is an interesting one. Um, the universe uh, came from what was not visible. That's actually given in Hebrews 11.3. And the universe follows fixed laws. Those are multiple, clear, specific predictions no one should have known. And then 3,000 years later, they found out it's true. Now, let's say that I say, if you dig down right here, smash the concrete, go in about a foot or two, you're going to find a cat skull. And then I go over somewhere else, and I'll say, if you dig down right here, you're going to find a hammer encased in the cement. And then I go over there, and I say, if you actually tear away the bricks a little bit, you'll find that they had some studding up there, and one of, them, one of the planks is short. And let's say I say, over here, if you tear away the wall, um, there was actually a Michael Jackson fan, and he made a little mosaic out of some, uh, some tile back there, and you'll find that there. Now, let's say your curiosity gets the best of you. You sneak back in here after we've all gone away, and you come in with a jackhammer, and you dig down here. Sure enough, there's a cat skull. You go right where I sit over there, you find a hammer. You find that, you find the mosaic. What does this mean? There's only three options. Either I'm a good guesser, pure coincidence, or I'm in contact. I was either there when it was created, or I'm in contact with someone who was. And if that's not freaking you out, that's the exact same thing we find in the Bible. These are multiple, clear, specific predictions given 3,000 years before we found out this stuff. Now, if you're thinking that, all right, he's just trying to make this fit the Bible. No, no I'm not one of the guys who was smart enough to study this. I'm going I'm to read for you the quotes from the people who did the study, the scientist Nobel Prize winners who did this study, who were not Christian. So first, Sir Frederick Hoyle. He was a very outspoken atheist who had this static universe theory, I think it was, where he said, well, the universe just existed forever. When Einstein and Hubble started saying, no, <laughs> it looks like the universe had a beginning, Frederick Hoyle said, that's scientific genesis. What was it, a Big Bang? He called it that to make fun of it, and the name stuck. What's amazing to me is Christians today think the Big Bang is actually against their belief, and atheists think it's for theirs. All the people directly involved are freaking out because they know it points directly to the biblical God. Robert Jastrow, founder of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space Studies, who was completely involved in this whole study that was going on with the beginning of the universe, he said, and he's an agnostic, he said, astronomical evidence leads to a biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential element in the astronomical and biblical accounts in Genesis are the same. Nobel Prize winners Penzias and Wilson add, 
The best data we have concerning the Big Bang are exactly what I would have predicted had I had nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. Certainly, there's something that started it all off. I can't think of a better theory of the origin of the universe than to match Genesis. Frank Tipler, professor at MIT, said, when he saw this stuff, Christianity isn't just a mere religion. It's a scientific, testable model. So, the greatest discovery of modern science actually interacts directly with beliefs. So what do we find? Well, on the insert, starting on that second page at the top, the Bible provided accurate knowledge within or inside the science circle. And think about this. Remember how I said the accurate belief system would be mutually beneficial and supportive with, like, clownfish and sea anemone. With science, this is what mutual benefit and support is. Science was wrong about the, beginning, about the universe. It had it completely wrong. The Bible and Christians who were involved were saying, they were the only ones saying, no, the universe had a beginning. And actually, some Muslims did too, because they take the Old Testament also. And, and uh, people in the Jewish faith. So, they were literally saying, you are wrong, science. And now science says, oh, yeah, you're right. Now, science has corrected some bad theology also. We could talk about that too. But they mutually benefit and support each other. So, the, B, the mutual, and the reason why I have this is, you're going to forget this. That's just how our minds work but you'll have a quick reference if someone ever asks you. Okay, B, mutual benefit support between science and Christianity. Okay, you, we, we have that, we know that. Science exposes inaccuracy in all other belief systems. Atheism, if you read the atheist manifestos, they kept saying the universe had no beginning until they found out it did, then they retracted that. <laughs> Agnostics, Buddhists, Hindus, every other belief system all have been exposed as inaccurate Does that on this thing. Does that mean all, we've just proven all other beliefs are false? No. We just proved they messed up in one of the most important areas. And the Bible, biblical model is the only one that got it right. Now, those who are closest to the discoveries get it. I put the link there to these quotes that I gave. Test for truth. The Bible provided one of the best tests for truth. Do you remember what that was? What, what's something a model can do that makes you know you're on the right track? If it can, yeah, predict. Predictions. So what you have here, you make predictions that are multiple, clear, specific. Specific's important. Because Nostradamus had predictions, but they were so crazy vague, they just don't compare. Plus, they were wrong. But in this case, given 3,000 years in advance of modern science, now here's how powerful it is. This is now a smooth stone you have. If anyone ever challenges, why would you believe the Bible? You can say, if you don't think the Bible is beyond humans or humanity, 
or man's ability. Basically, what we'll get to it in a second. If you don't think the Bible is beyond humanity, then there should be many, many equivalent examples throughout all of history. What are they? Let me show you how I use this. So at UC Berkeley, probably the most anti-Christian campus we could find, we had hundreds of atheists, and, and, and there was also, I don't know how many Christians, there was maybe about 50, 80, but there was like hundreds of atheists. We had the atheist professors come, we had the atheist um, um, groups, there's at least one, there might have been two, and then there was the graduate um, people who were in law school who were also atheists who were coming into debate. They're all in this huge auditorium, and I, I wouldn't say it was their huge auditorium, it was a big one, but it wasn't the biggest that they had. And I asked this to them. I said, so I, in just a minute, I said, here's what the Bible predicted about the beginning of the universe. These are multiple clear specific predictions given 3,000 years in advance of modern science. If you don't believe there's a God behind the Bible, if it's just really humans writing the Bible, that's it, then throughout all of history, we'll have many, many comparable examples to this because humans will do, be able to do the same thing. So what are they? Give me the examples. Awkward silence. And these are brilliant people here. Awkward silence. Then one of them was brave enough to say, one of the debaters actually jumped in and said, well, there's contradictions in the Bible. I said, well, I, I'd like to talk with you about that afterwards. However, so? Even if you're right, what does that mean? If someone, if, if literally, John 3.17 says, and in the early 2000s, the University of Michigan will dominate over the Ohio State football team. <laughs> now, that's clearly not reality. Does it mean there's not a God behind the Bible? No, because we have already have proof there is a God behind the Bible. We already have evidence that this is beyond humanity. The only thing it would mean is God allowed some delusional prophet to write in some stuff that wasn't accurate, and he just didn't care that the guy left it in there. Now, I wasn't going to go debate the guy about there is no contradictions, or, the, or they were saying there's errors. I was like, I don't believe so. And I probably studied it more than you, so I don't think there is. And we can talk about specific ones if you want, but in the end, it doesn't matter. What, had the Bible changed over time, you want to say? They tried twice to go off on rabbit trails, and I called them on it. I said, you, you guys realize you just didn't answer my question at all. You tried to go to something else. And here's the thing. Any challenge someone makes against the Bible, you can always say, you realize that's a secondary issue. I don't care if you, well, I do care, but even if you had proof of a contradiction, an error, or that it's changed, you can't get around the fact that there is something beyond humanity behind the Bible, and no other thing we have in all of human history has that. Which means you better take it seriously if you want to be rational. Because even if it says the University of Michigan will dominate, I know that's delusional, but I still know there's a God behind the Bible. I'm going to take that more seriously than anything else that's, that there is on earth. This is a powerful stone. <laughs> no matter what they do to attack the Bible, you got this one. If they ever ask you, well, how can you believe in the Bible? You'd say, well, there's evidence there's a God behind it from the greatest discovery in science. You, what you'll see is, huh? 
The professor that I had talked about, I used one of these on him. He was rabid atheist. He, his title, he was in such an advanced level of the PhD. He was ridiculous intellect. But when I gave him the evidence, he's like, what? that's amazing. Why, why didn't I know about this? How come I haven't heard about this? And I said, yeah, that's a problem. There's been some bad education going on. I was like, this, this is easy to find. If you're seeking, you'll find it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Does this mean we have proof that Christianity is accurate? Do we have absolute proof? First of all, don't ever say... Now, I used the word proof earlier, but I didn't want to stop my flow, even though I know I screwed up. Don't ever use proof. Someone says, I want you to prove something. You can say, first of all, science doesn't believe in proof. Science doesn't even believe in these like laws and stuff anymore. What they say is... Based on the evidence, it's vast, 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 vastly more probable that this is true than this. So you'd be a fool to believe this when all the evidence is here, but we, we, we don't want to say we have proof yet because things change. Because science has had some bruises over time. They've made some mistakes, like about the beginning. God, I think, this isn't thus saith the Lord, this is thus guesseth me. I don't believe God goes with the proof thing either. Because God is not, does not care that we believe that he exists. Even the demons believe that he exists and they shudder. He wants us to believe in him. That's something much more profound. If he was just after proof, then only the geeks, like you see on Big Bang Theory, would be. that's what heaven would look like. A bunch of science geeks who could solve equations. Except for Pretty Penny there, she, she wouldn't make it. <laughs> God gives you more than enough to realize he's there, but he's not going to overwhelm. Amen. If you don't want to believe him, you, you can keep your hand there, but the evidence is there. Now, if that was all I had as far as um, Bible making multiple clear specific predictions, it's unmatched in all of human history. It's the only source that you can see is beyond humanity's ability to do. Because that's what I ask people. I say, what, what, what would it take to know that there's a God behind the Bible? There'd have to be something in it that humans cannot do. And humans can't make multiple clear specific predictions 3,000 years in advance of modern science. So we know there's a God behind the Bible. And there better not be anything else. But there is. The Bible didn't just stop those predictions. It made a whole bunch of predictions about what the cause of the universe was like. It gave specific properties of God. Now, everyone likes origin stories. That's why Marvel, Star Wars, DC, they are racking up the money with their origin stories. Everyone loves them. Because our brain naturally says, okay, we see the effect. What was the cause? We do that with us, too. People ask, why are we here? Where did we come from? Our origin story says a whole lot, and it's more exciting than what we just saw with the latest Avengers, which was awesome. Yeah. So, try to picture this. So let's say hmm, this water bottle is all matter, energy, space, and time, all physical, natural things in the universe, and it popped into existence right there. What do you now know about 
what the cause, something about the cause. Now, first of all, this just blows people away. So many people think there's going to be a natural cause to the universe. The atheist I debated at University of Michigan, he believed in a natural cause of the universe. And I, in the debate, I was like, well, that's already been scientifically disproven. We know we don't have a natural cause. Science disproved that over a half century ago. Huh? <laughs> if this is all of nature, you can't have part of nature create itself because nature's what's created. Frank Turk says this would be like you giving birth to your parents. <laughs> it's nonsense. If all of nature was created, we can't have a natural cause. The cause has to be beyond nature. So that's one property we, we know about the cause of the universe. There we go. Whatever caused the universe has to be outside of time because time was literally created with nature. The space-time fabric, you might have heard. That's a scientific term. They use the term, the fabric of space-time. It's because time and space began together. So whatever created the universe is also outside of time. Now, science and philosophy have known for centuries that you need an eternal, uncaused first cause. They just assumed it was the universe. Aristotle called it the unmoved mover. I mean, so we've been, we knew this for a long time. Everyone just assumed it was the universe. But now that the universe had a beginning, it needs a different cause. So whatever the cause is, it's an uncaused first cause that's eternal. Now, when the universe first began, it had the most amount of energy to do work over time that it will ever have, and ever since then it's just running down. Energy to do work over time is the scientific definition of power. So at the very beginning of the universe, you had the greatest amount of power of the whole universe put together. But the cause is greater than its effect. That means the cause has to have more power than the entire universe put together. There's something called the law of conservation of matter and energy that says matter is neither created and energy is neither created nor destroyed. Now you can turn them into each other. That's what E equals MC squared is. E is energy, M is mass. You can turn them into each other. That's what an atomic bomb does. But you can't create them out of nothing. Yet all of the mass and energy was created in the beginning out of nothing. That violates the law of conservation of matter and energy. When you violate a natural law, that's a miracle. So what are the properties we know of the cause of the universe? It's supernatural, eternal, almighty, and miracle-working. What does that sound like to you? And if you think I'm trying to make this sound like God, no, the Bible had this 3,000 years before I came along. And before science was like, oh, wow. There's also... I can't do it in this talk, don't have the time, but I can show you that the cause is personal. In fact, when I was getting ready for the debate, I stumbled into a new thing, and I love it. It takes time to do, so I can't do it, but basically this, you're not going to be able to see any of that. Here's the bottom line to it. In all of scientific and philosophical literature, there are only four possible causes of the universe. Because of the beginning of the universe, three have been eliminated as impossible. The only one left is an immaterial mind. 
there's no way around this. I've used this at Berkeley. I use this in the debates. There's no answer. Here's, well, there is an answer. Here's what the scientists say who still want to push off God. They say, well, something caused it. We just don't know what it is yet. That's a logical fallacy. That's a known error in thinking known as the ad futurist fallacy. What you're basically saying is this, and this is what I tell them. I don't go into the ad futurist. I just, because it comes off as you're trying to arrogant, use big words. So I just say this. So what you're saying to me is, three of the possibilities for the cause of the universe have been eliminated. The only one that's left is an immaterial mind, and it has a whole bunch of evidence for it that I can give you hours worth for. But you're saying... We don't know what the cause is yet. You're, we're waiting. No, you're denying. Answer my questions about why this evidence is no good. Otherwise, you're just, you're just deceiving yourself. Okay. Now, I want to take a minute. What time is it right now? I've already gone for an hour and 20 minutes. Okay, bummer. All right, I want you to take just a couple minutes, a few minutes, and look at the many questions that can be answered. That one smooth stone I gave you, actually, <laughs> I gave you, God gave you, <laughs> that one smooth stone that God gave us to use to support the Bible, like I said, no matter what anyone says, any challenge that comes with the Bible, you, you can use this smooth stone. Now, it also answers a number of other questions they constantly get thrown at Christianity. Look at the ones I listed below. These are some of the most common questions used against Christianity. See if you can answer some of them now just based on what we covered. Just take a look for a couple minutes. And if anyone is brave enough to try to raise your hand and tell me how you have an answer for one of them, um, do it, because we want to share these. So all of these common questions now have an answer with just what we covered just, just today. Yes. Okay, so what they used to say is this. So you Christians only got blind faith. The only reason why you can believe in God is because wherever there's a gap in our understanding, for example, lightning. When we didn't know where lightning came from, you can say Zeus is it's from Zeus. He's mad and he's, that's his weapon. Once we find out where lightning's from, now Zeus is a joke. They said, that's what you Christians got. You only have room for God where science hasn't figured it out yet, and as soon as science gets there, we're going to show you just like Zeus. Backfired on them. The more science... Oh, I'm not giving you the answers. You can... <laughs> All right, we can start. Does anyone have an answer to, did the universe have a beginning? Basically. Yeah, that, yeah, that one's straightforward. A lot of people don't think so. Still, which is amazing. How do you not teach the greatest discovery of modern science? Unbelievable. But now you know if you didn't before, but most of you probably did. Second one, do we have to either believe in science or religion? Within a two weeks' time, 
I heard two or three students, and I'm not running into students, just through my niece and friends and whatever, I heard two or three instances where people said their teacher had to tell them they had to either believe in science or their religion. And my response is always, give me that teacher's name. I'm going to be writing a letter because that teacher either doesn't know science, doesn't know uh, theology, or doesn't know either. Because you wouldn't say that otherwise. That's an ignorant statement. Now, why is it ignorant, though? Do you have anything from what we learned today that shows you don't have to believe just either science or religion? Yeah, like what? They do intercept? Yep, so right there you got, no, they, they interact. And did we find anything in the interaction that says that they're actually buddies? Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, the whole beginning of the universe was completely a, and only a biblical thing. And then science said, ah, yeah, you're right. All right, what about, does science go against my beliefs, or is there, oh, we just gave that one too. But you see, that it, these are all these common questions, and they're on the same thing. Um, it, uh, Christians have a blind faith, meaning you don't have any reasons to believe what you do. Now, some Christians think that's a biblical concept. Like, you have a faith like a child. It's not what he meant. Read the context. God always gave reasons. So how can you answer, oh, you just have a blind faith. You have no reason to believe God exists. What can you tell them? Pro not necessarily proof. <laughs> so what evidence then? How could you what would you say is some good evidence that, there, that God exists? Or based on what we said. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. Bible called this out before anyone. Only a God would know that. Humans aren't capable of that. Very good. Now, again, don't feel bad if any of these questions are, are rough or anything like that. They will be because we haven't been educated up, up on this. But can you see that there's some really good stuff just waiting for us to use? Um, how can you believe God's behind the Bible? Well, we covered that one. This day and age, we're so far past your God of the gaps. Here... I'll just give you this quick because I want to move on so you can get some Q&A. So God of the gaps. They say, you only believe where science hasn't looked into yet. You can say, no. We looked exactly to where science looked and found that science found <coughs> the same thing the Bible said 3,000 years earlier. That is scientific evidence for a God of the Bible. We're not arguing from the gaps in knowledge. We're arguing with them. We're, this is where we want. This is where we want to see um, wherever science is making discoveries, it's supporting us. The properties it found for the cause of the universe, science says the cause of the universe, now they're not going to say this using these words, <laughs> but it's outside of nature, that's supernatural by definition. It's eternal, it worked a miracle, and has more power than the whole universe put together. Mm. Um, miracles. If you ever run into someone who has a problem with miracles, you're, you're, this church has more experience in it than I think any church I've run into. But let's say you run into someone who has trouble with miracles because they're really into the whole science thing. Just say, well, the greatest miracle that ever occurred, we already have scientific proof of it or evidence for it. They're like, huh? You can say, what's the greatest miracle? Some people will say resurrection. Some people will say other things. You used to say, no, 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 no. It isn't, even though that's very important to me. No. 
The resurrection, walking on water, water into wine, those are child's play compared to a being that can create the whole universe out of nothing. I mean, it'd be like asking somebody who can build a car from the ground up to just change the spark plugs. Miracles are nothing for a being that can create the whole universe out of nothing. All right. So, scoreboard time. So, um, I was at a conference, and I left it with a physics buddy of mine, and it was the day Michigan was playing Michigan State. He's a huge state fan. He went there. I'm a huge Michigan fan. I went there to U of M. So, they're playing, but the conference was a good one, so we blew off the game, but it was the last 10 minutes. So, we're listening to it on the radio, and then we hurry over to the store that was closed, but it had TVs there. So, we watched the last maybe minute of it. And here's where the situation was. It showed a Michigan State fan like this. And my friend said, you see that person? That's me. And I said, yep. Because Michigan had the lead. They had the ball. They were, all they had to do is just punt it off and then stop Michigan State one time, game's over. And, and my friend's like, okay, what they got to do is they got to block the punt and and not only block the punt, do it in a way that they can pick it up and run it into the end zone and then not have any time left for Michigan to do anything. I was like, yeah, that's what they, they got to do. I was like, you're a smart guy. What, what, what are you babbling about? About 30 seconds later, I said, you see that guy? That's me. <laughs> that's called the Surrender Cobra. Now... When that, so what happened, State did exactly that. They blocked the punt, it bounced where the State guy got it, he runs it in, time runs out, and all of Michigan is like, no way did that just happen. <laughs> so, now, there was a lot of opinions, hopes, wants. For example, my opinion was, oh, he had to hit the kicker, or there had, to, there had to be a penalty there. And then my hopes were, well, maybe there's enough time. Maybe Michigan will get the back. And my, my wants were saying, Michigan's a better team. They deserve this game. But the bottom line is this. The scoreboard just doesn't really care what my hopes, dreams, and wants are. And you can even see the scoreboard changing right there with Sparty's score going up and taking over the game. The scoreboard is reality. It doesn't care about your opinions, hopes, and wants. It only says, here's reality, deal with it. And if you're not standing on the good side of reality, reality is going to bring the consequences. It always does. Same thing is true with beliefs. With your beliefs, we have all these different ways to get a scoreboard on what belief fits reality. And the, the, the game's in. The evidence is all there. If you choose not to stand... On the right side of reality, you will face the consequences for it. Now, I didn't tell you how that line story ended. So it, the last thing I had told you was that, that alpha hyena was right at the, edge of the, at the edge of the river, and they're cackling at the lions who are just coming to their den that had been urinated all over by the jackals. Now, what that alpha hyena didn't have a wide enough view to notice is the alpha male lion had snuck across the river while he was cackling, was in a full sprint. By the time that jackal looked over, he was in the jaws of the male lion who crushed his throat, dropped the dying corpse in front of him, and then looked at the rest of the hyenas who took off. 
Now, that alpha showed what the reality was. And that time it was finally prepared. For me, I'm going to bank on the alpha and omega. Because <laughs> that's where the reality is, and that's where all the good stuff in life and afterwards is. And the evidence is there. But the thing is, other people, there's a lot of other people just outside the church that don't have that. And the reasons that are always given, at least lately in our culture, is um, that I believe in science. No one's really given me answers in the church, you know, and so on. It doesn't make sense to me anymore. So we need to be prepared to share with them what they need. Okay, there is, this is from my favorite commercial probably of all time, which, what I, what's next is, um, for those who have interest in it, the next thing that we could do is, I don't think we have time tonight. We'll see with the questions. Not, yeah, I probably wouldn't go into this one, but there is, if Christianity is what fits reality, we have an unfair advantage over every other belief system. You don't have to be any kind of, any kind of intellect with this. I mean, all it is is you have to just say, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? Now, here's the thing. Whenever you get challenged, when you see a Family Guy episode that talks about Christians being irrational, or The Simpsons, or you see a Star Wars episode that's supporting um, kind of Buddhist beliefs, New Agey stuff, or you see somebody of your friends is in some serious pain, and they're, why would a loving God allow pain? All right, when, you, when you're in this situation, all of us, we know it's important, we really want to give the right answers, and we freak out because of it. You don't know how, what to say, you're afraid, maybe I don't have the answers, okay? There is a simple three-step process. Three steps, that's all there is to it that you can use on any challenge or to answer any question and do it really productively, even if you don't know anything about the topic. And so that's probably what would be covered next if anyone was still is interested in that. Um, at this point, I'm going to cut it off and leave it for, I want to get some Q&A in. Is there anything where right now either someone has a question about what was covered? You're like, okay. I have a question. Can we yeah. take up an offering real quick? There we go. Okay, think about questions that you want answered. <laughs> Rough transition, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just give us a break here. Just one second. Why don't you get some water, get a little bit of rest? Oh, yeah. Cool. So we're going to have our ushers come forward. Let's just be a blessing to Scott here. You know, he came, he didn't expect anything. He drove what, five and a half, six hours here and, uh, until he moves to Columbus. And so. So, God's sending people to Columbus, I'll tell you what. You guys remember Robert and Sherilyn Needham, the rocket scientist and the uh, prophetic consultant? They're moving here next month. Boom. Yeah, so uh, that'll be awesome for all you entrepreneurs. Um, yeah. Remember, you guys know Stephen Bell? The, uh, he's coming here next month. Boom. God's just sending people here. It's like the Avengers. They're assembling, baby. Hmm. The team's coming together, <laughs> and it's all for you. Tell them how to give. Oh, um, cash?
Check. Go to the Zion app, and it'll say, I'm assuming it'll say Scott Simonton on there. It does say it on there. Okay, yeah, you can give on that. Uh, make the checkout to Zion Christian Fellowship. We count it separate. Um, credit cards, if you want to give by a credit card, there's uh, envelopes in the back of the chairs. And so, uh, so thank you for being generous. Wasn't this awesome? I don't know about you guys. I felt the Holy Spirit a few times. It's like, who knew you could feel the Holy Spirit talking about science? Who yeah. knew it? I got a science degree. I never felt the Holy Spirit. You know what's funny is I told Scott, I said, you know, when I was at the University of Michigan, I had an evolutionary biology professor, and I said his name, and Scott's like, I just did a debate against him. I remember the guy from 30 years ago, and I remember thinking, like, this isn't science. This is ridiculous. He was a gay Jewish atheist. And, um, and Scott just did a debate against him. And uh, when Scott was done, the people were asking, like, the, the professor, like, aren't you going to say anything? And he's like, no. He, like, had no response. I thought, uh, that's just interesting. The guy that I had 30 years ago, Scott actually got the chance to talk to. What I appreciate about Scott, too, is um, during the debates, you haven't seen him debate, is he's not a jerk. You know how important that is as a Christian? You can have the right answers and be like, in your face, suck it. You know, like... <laughs> They, they need to see what Jesus is like and not just have the right answers. And so I think we just we need to keep that in mind is that, you know, our love is a greater apologetic sometimes than the science. And let's not let our jerkiness overcome the truth. Okay. And so I appreciate that about Scott. So totally all right, so okay. Ushers. Ush it. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, usherettes. We got usherettes and one usher, so happiest man at Zion, Sean over there, the newlywed. Until Tim Savage in 27 days, and he might be the happiest guy. He's, he's pretty smiley right now. He's getting married in 27 days. All right, so we're going to um, have questions right here. And so, um, yeah, if you've got questions or maybe one that you keep getting asked, or whatever, let's, just, uh, let's just bring them forward here. Yeah, if you want anything, like, reset because it didn't make sense because I went too fast, that'll do. The line forms here. <laughs> And I know it's really hard to be the first person, so we'll skip right to the second. Uh, what's the deal with carbon dating? Good question. Um, so carbon, it's, what they do is we know how fast half of the carbon will decay away. And I think it's, what was it, 5,700 years? So... Because you know how long it decays away and you know what it decays into, we can, we can like date like a tree and how long ago this thing lived. But here, there is a limit to it. You can only go so many of these half-lifes. So a half-life, I think it's half-life with something like 5,700 years. So you can only go so many before your results are then totally inaccurate. So over something like, I can't remember what it was, if it's any more than can't remember if it was 20,000 or something like that. It's t totally worthless. Might even be less than that. I don't remember. Um, usually this has to do with the age of the earth question, but really that doesn't even matter. It sounds, it, it sounds harsh, and it, or it sounds bad, but um, as far as that's concerned, the Bible does not give an age to the earth. If you think it does, show me. Because God really, really likes numbers and symbols and things, and whenever something's important, he covers it redundantly. Not only is it not redundant, it's not anywhere what the age is. So if you want to say it's young or old, you are going beyond what the Bible says. 
That's dangerous. So, be very careful with that. There are churches that have divided over that. That's foolish. I've actually had some of the people who came after me the nastiest were actually Christians talking about this issue. And what I said is, well, the same Bible you're trying to support, would it support how you're coming at me with this? It's like, maybe you should rethink. So, um, carbon dating is accurate only up to a point. Um, how, how it's used as far as age of the earth, probably not very useful. Um, and in the end, and I'm really glad you brought this up because this is a huge topic, the age of the earth doesn't matter. The Bible does not say specifically. Let's say we find out tomorrow that it's 6,000 years old. Okay, wow. No one in science would have guessed that, but wow. Or let's say we find out, we find out without question tomorrow it's 13 billion years. Okay, so what? Either way, it doesn't matter. It doesn't go against the Bible because God just didn't really give a care whether we knew how old it was or not. The Bible is not a scientific text. He talks science in it at times, but that's not his main goal. His main goal is giving us basic instructions before leaving earth. And so you need a forklift to have it cover everything we'd want it to cover. So, um, yeah, so as far as the age... Bible doesn't say, if you think it does, I'd like to hear the arguments, because um, I know where people get it from. It's from Bishop Usher's thing and that, um, and Bishop Usher, he made five assumptions. All five assumptions are, have to be right, but all five assumptions I can show biblically are wrong. Did that, did that answer? Yeah, that's good. Okay. No, thanks for the question, brave first person. This is a build off that question. All right. So at least I've been taught in school that a majority of scientists do believe in carbon dating is fairly accurate at least. So why would the majority of the academia say that when um, you're say, I'm just saying that's 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 the You're totally right. saying the standard position. So I'm just understanding why are you saying well that's Okay. We have to go against the standard. First of all, very good. He thinks he's saying something that contradicts what I said, so that's good that you had the guts to bring this up. I must have misstated it. Carbon dating is accurate only up to a certain point. So, like, if you want to say, um, let's say you find in a tree, it has half of the carbon is this type of carbon, half of it has decayed into this, we know that tree is 5,700 years old at the time that it died. Now, Let's say that the tree is actually past, what is it, five half-lives? Let's say it's gone, it's lived so long, it's past five of those 5,700 years. At that point, there's, we don't have enough to really make an accurate assessment beyond a certain age. So carbon dating is accurate up to a certain age, and then it's not. But then after that, they use other things. They use um, different radioactive things that have a longer half-life that can that they can use those reliably for way longer. Okay. Now, and you didn't misstate it. That's that's how I understood. It. Okay. I, just, I think that that last part is probably also in addition to what I've heard. Gotcha. But, which goes into the real question uh, okay. I wanted to ask. <laughs> nope. There's um, only one. Next. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no. So I feel like the 
when we get into the, the crux of like religion versus science, I feel like in the modern debate, a lot of it comes down to the creation versus evolution debate. <laughs> like with, uh, with yeah. uh, evangelicals in America today really pushing um, seven day literal creation. And okay, now it's, yeah, it, it, there's two different things there. Do you, well, I can give you both if you want, but do you want the seven-day one or do you want the evolution one? I mean, I think they kind of go, I feel like they go together because I feel like those are the two All things right. that... Um, okay, the seven-day the seven one, can God create everything in seven days? Well, of course. I mean, a God that can create the universe can do absolutely all possible things. Now, can, here's some interesting one. Can God do anything? Some say yes, some say no. Can he sin? Oh. Can he make a burrito? He can he eat. sin? Can God sin? No, so he can't do everything. Can he create a square circle or a married bachelor? Or a one-ended stick? Those are logical impossibilities. God is logical. He cannot do those things. Can he create a rock so big he can't move it? No. So there are some things God can't do, but can he create the whole universe in an instant and the, it, all those things that happen in Genesis? Could he do them in seven days? Yeah, yeah, of course he can. But is that what the Bible says? Mm, not so clear to me. I'll only give you one thing here because I don't want it to take up too much time, but let's just look at day six. You have to read Genesis. So the Bible does things just like science does. It starts with a big picture and then it cones down. Starts with the entire universe being created, then you're hovering over the surface of the earth, then you're transforming the earth, then you get to man. And then Genesis 2 gets really specific on man. Genesis 2 kind of, it gives details about what happened in day 6. Here's some of the things that happened day 6. God puts the garden, God puts Adam in the garden. God asks Adam to name all the animals, and if it's a young earth, that's billions. He has to come up with names for the animals, then he realizes he's lonely. God puts Adam to sleep. God creates Eve. God brings Eve to Adam. All this happened in 12 or 24 hours. In my most, now just thinking about that, I thought, in my most hormone-driven days in high school, if God just created me, I would not need a woman within 12 or 24 hours. I'd be in absolute amazement of this God, and I would bask in that for the longest time. Yet all of this happens in 24 hours, just day six. In addition to that, if you want to go with biblical literal things, when Eve is brought to Adam, Adam says, Hapa'am. The only time that is ever used, and you could check with Jim, he'd know better than I would. The only time it's ever been used in the Bible, it always meant at long last. Does that make any sense? in a literal six, day six. Now, could God hyper do something with time? Sure, but it doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. You, you, you're doing ad hoc. You're, you're extrapolating to try to fit the Bible to make fit what you want to think. So to me, not thus saith the Lord, thus guesseth me, it seems to me like day six is not the day we're talking about. The word they use for day is yam. Yam can mean 12-hour, 24-hour, or long period of vague time. Now, 
a lot of time, in fact, most of the time, or all, some say all the time, but I think he, Ken Ham was wrong when he said this, um, said if you have, this, this argument goes further, but the bottom line to me is, I really don't, me, I don't think it was 12 hours or 24 hours, I think they're talking about a period of time. On another day, it talked about God allowing the vegetation to reproduce itself. That doesn't happen in 12 hours, 24 hours. A fruit-bearing plants it was too, not, not to mention. So there's hints that you can read in, read. But in the end, again, I don't, I don't really care. I mean, if, if, if we find out tomorrow, if God tells me tomorrow, oh, no, no, it was just a literal day, I'd be like, wow, I was wrong on that. Doesn't matter, doesn't change anything. It will be, but here's the thing. If you, if you want to believe in a young earth, you might be right. Six literal days, you might be right. Don't ever share that, though, with someone outside because no one outside the church thinks that. And all you're doing is putting a stumbling block in front of them, and God talks about putting stumbling blocks in front of somebody. So I don't care how important it might be to you, get over it. Do not use that outside the church. Because that's not going to help anybody, and it's going to come back on you. Now, the same is true with me. If, you know, if I think it's not a literal day, i got to be careful how I use that. Because if I'm wrong, I'm teaching. I get called to account for that. So we just got to be careful. The Bible doesn't say specific things, even when people want it to. Evolution. The, bod, the talk I gave at the University of Michigan on Darwin Day, they were just asking for a fight. <laughs> I think it's a Christian group that did this, too, because they knew me from before, so they knew I'd have some answers, but I think they just wanted to see a fight, because it was on Darwin Day. They bring me in, and then they specifically pressured the evolution and biology professor to come in. And my whole talk was titled, Much to Do About Nothing. Because what I said was, I said, oh, there's some real, there's some, in, the things do evolve to an extent. Now, if you want to say life went from non-life to life and gave us everything we have without an intelligent agent, oh, <laughs> wow, okay, there's all kinds of scientific problems with that. So I went over some of the scientific problems and some of the scientific supports, and then at the very end I just said, here's the bottom line. Evolution, if it's true, even to the full extent you want it to be or not, doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. We'll put it like this. There is not in any evolutionary theory that says life all arose through evolution and no God was involved. You can't say that because science can only study a certain circle of things. Here's what it can study. Let's just show it. Well, okay, there's a circle, but you can't read that. Here's what science can do. It can take, basically what it does is, it's, it's about using the scientific method to determine cause and effect, what caused things. So when you're talking about how do we get all the life we have, you have to take, science will take initial conditions and natural laws and then explain what we have. That's how science does its thing. That is a circle that you have to stay in if you want to do science. It can only say, we're studying how natural things started and natural laws worked to get something else. If you want to say, and there was nothing supernatural involved, the only way you can say that is stepping outside of the science circle into theology or philosophy. And now you're not being scientific at all. 
So here's, and here, here is the reality of it. If I had a beaker right here, and we saw non-living things come together to form living things, and then they all, they all started um, mutating and doing all this, and they turned into all the life that we have. Let's say all of evolution we watch happen right before us. So? <laughs> that says nothing about an intelligent agent not being involved. But here's the scary thing if you want to think there is no God involved. What science can do is they can find things in studying the natural things that make them say, oh my God, <laughs> there, <laughs> yeah. And they did. First of all, they found that the entire natural universe came into existence from what was outside of nature. So now we know there's something outside the science circle. Ooh. Thank you, science. Oh, it gets even better. Even in evolution, they helped us out. So DNA, DNA, Bill Gates, who knows a thing or two about computer code, when, he, when, he re, when we mapped out the DNA, he said, that's code. It is, and you can ask the mathematical and, and information theorists, they'll tell you, DNA is equal to code. And then what Bill Gates, though, here's his exact quote. DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created. So what you're telling us is this code, has there ever been any kind of code in all, all of nature that we found not created by intelligence? No, DNA would be the only one if it was. And DNA is vastly, vastly more complex than any code that man in its most intelligence has ever created. So what does that mean? Whatever created DNA has to be vastly more intelligent and better funded than <laughs> our best computer programmers. Oh, not to mention, you just look at, you look at any, the, when, you look, when you follow some of the science news, and this one, man, this was this, no, this was 2016. I got to update this. Although this year, it was the same thing. So the Nobel Prize was, I think, to chemical engineering or biology or something like that, was based on these guys who basically, they were able to create, nan like, um, out, of, out of just uh, um, natural things, they ended up creating, like, inside cells, these little wheels and this little axle, and so this little thing can move. And it was, it's really awesome, and they, they get a Nobel Prize for it, because these are like molecular machines. And when they interviewed these people, they said, how amazing. You are creating. The, oh, this is just amazing. They're going on. And the, they interviewed all of them, said the same thing. They said, yeah, we just copied what was already there, but we just, we, we didn't really get it as good as what's already there. In fact, I hope I got this video. If not, I can find it. So basically, the stuff that science is finding it's basically finding that there are things in nature that have never been, we don't find any equivalent to it naturally. It's only been by intelligence. And vastly more intelligent than anything humans have produced. That should make you think. Did I get it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess the part that, I guess, um, make it even more specific. I think um, 
there's a pressure, and I think this comes down to the religion versus science, is that you can't, if you want to be a real Christian, like, you can't accept um, evolution. Why do you believe like, that? Oh, no, I'm not saying. No, I'm saying how, that's, that's the Yeah, the this cultural. is how you answer them, though. What's that? This is how you answer them, though. Say, well, why do you believe that? Oh, okay. And then make them explain it. Why would you, why, why are you not thinking there's this, what, what we've shown with just the big, the beginning of the Big Bang, which so many Christians thought the Big Bang is against Christianity, and so many atheists think it's theirs. I don't know. They have the best marketers. Atheists have the best. How did they steal this great proof for the biblical God? Because it only points in one direction, to the biblical, to the biblical model. That's the one that called it. Science got it totally wrong. So science and religion, there isn't a conflict. They support each other. Oh, well, I should say this. Got to be more specific. Science and Christianity mutually benefit and support each other. There is conflict between science and every other belief system. So as far as his question, when, um, when he says, and don't totally go because I want to make sure I answer this. So when, when a Christian comes to you and says, well, I just, you know, what do I do with this? Ask him. Say, why do you think evolution is so, is, why do you think there's a problem? And then, and then say to them, in the end, in the end, even if we totally saw evolution happen, it doesn't say anything about whether a God's involved or not. Now, if they want to say, oh, it goes against the, the creation model, though, you can say, okay, well, we can investigate that. Now, there's a lot more wide openings than what most of you realize in the Genesis account. I'll give you an example. Only, there's only three times where... So the Hebrews only had 4,500 words to work with or something like that. Uh, again, you can check with Jim or someone who knows that better than I do, but we have like a million. Whenever they use two words or three words or anything more than one word to mean something kind of similar, that means it's very important. In the Genesis account, they use three different words for make or create. That's very significant. When they talk about the beginning of the of all the universe, they use the word bara. That means something only God can do, creating out of what was not in existence before. When it talks about almost everything else, except for a couple other instances, when it talks about light, when it talks about a bunch of other things, uh, plants, when it talks about a bunch of other things, it uses the word either asa or yatsar totally different meanings. Asa means God takes something that already exists, had some modification, and now you got something kind of new. Yatsar is something else. It's where you already have something and it produces more after its kind, like with vegetation. So if you really got, if, if somebody was really coming at me like, I'm sure evolution's against the Bible, I would just say, all right, let's just look at it piece by piece. And if the Bible's a lot more open to things than you think, I could make almost a full evolution story fit totally with the creation story. But I'm not going to, because in the end, science is going to disprove evolution, but something else is going to come up in science that will take over, because it's never going to be one-sided. You know, if you don't want to believe God, you better come up with something when evolution goes down. Now, um, so anyways... You know, evolution just doesn't matter. Not to mention, evolution doesn't even come along until the whole universe got, got created. <laughs> and then life went from non-life to life. 
You, you need God for all that. Not to mention even for evolution. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're designing something, it, you, you would be a smart designer to put an evolution feature in there. That just makes sense. So anyways, I don't waste a lot of time with evolution because it doesn't matter. So I, wouldn't get, I would just tell a Christian, don't get a bent out of shape about it because in the end, it doesn't matter. Yep. Thanks for patience. Yeah, I thought that maybe my question would take too long to answer, but uh, <laughs> no. uh, anyway, uh, this is more of a clarification I'm asking for, uh, or to expound on it a little mm-hmm. bit, because uh, you know, I, I, I do believe that God created the world uh, and everything, but I've been out of this thought process for a while. The last thing I remember was that um, people thought that, you know, E equals MC squared. Yeah. Okay, so you have a, a fixed amount of mass and energy combined. So yeah. even with entropy, uh, you're not losing that whole. You're right. You know, you, uh, mass... Uh, you're well, not en- lo- energy energy is just dissipating. Yes. But the energy is still there. So, well, so the total energy in the universe is, the, is always the same unless it becomes mass or vice versa. But the total amount is the same. The total amount of mass energy would be. But yes. energy is getting used up, though, in, in, fa- in, in its inability to do further work. So the no, thing it, is... It becomes, it becomes potential energy then. You know, uh, then it's basically it it has potential energy, <clears throat> and then it gets used, mm-hmm. and now you've used up that potential energy, and like so, um, radio d- decay, radioactive decay. Um, we have a lot of potential for that still, and that's going to keep powering some things. But eventually, that radioactive decay will run out. Atoms will fully decay, and then you just have mass with no ability to do anything but just be cold, dark, dead. But space can still expand. It goes somewhere, heat or something. It, it, yes, it, it, gets it dissipates dissip- into something. It, it does. And the energy is right. still there. And so, uh, but it can't be what, used again. Uh, Some it of it, eventually, the, the, the it can't. The thing is that that, and I'm I'm not arguing from what I believe. You know, I'm arguing from what I oh, understood. Then that's believe. what you want to do okay. because it's a question. It's yeah. Good. So, uh, so you have this fixed amount of uh, energy and mass. So my understanding, although I didn't, you know, really question deeply about it, uh, was that uh, at some point it collapsed upon itself. It was always here. It collapsed upon itself, became that, you know, giant black hole, and and then exploded from the energy that was great. The amount of energy that came together, it exploded, and that's what we're seeing today. You never lost the energy. You never lost the mass. Okay, that's... And I'm, and I'm wondering... Let, let me... I'll let you go... I, I didn't okay, get my... Go ahead. Uh, the next sentence is my question. Okay. So how did, how did the scientists come to the conclusion that everything came from nothing because my last, like I just said, my last understanding of what the argument was, was it was still all there. It was dissipated all out, collapsed upon itself uh, from gravity or whatever, uh, and, and then re-exploded. Yeah, that's, that's, it's not a creation. It's a No, that would be an oscillating universe. Yes. It was a theory, an oscillating universe, saying you would have a big crunch and then a big bang, right. and then eventually crunch and bang. That was 
absolutely disproven. Um, okay. Even Hawking was ho hoping for that one. But it was absolutely <laughs> disproven, and they said, you will eventually run out of energy. To where energy does get used up, and eventually you wouldn't have enough energy to rebang. In fact, the first time when you come into a massive black hole, you might not have energy to do it. So basically, the oscillating universe, completely disproven. Now, as far as why do they believe it all came out of nothing, yeah. there's a bunch of reasons for it, although they are very long, and even, even I would have to go back and look at some of them. Einstein's um, uh, general theory of relativity is involved with it. The fact that the whole universe is expanding out, when you take that backwards in time, they've did mathematical calculations, and they've actually seen this. If you look far enough in the back in the universe, it takes, like for example, if you're looking at the sun, you're looking at it eight minutes ago. Because it takes eight minutes for that light to get to us. If you look at something super far away, you're looking at the past from super far away. And what they found is it all came from a beginning point, that, and it would be so dense that um, not light or anything could escape. Now, as far as where do they get then to the point where it came out of nothing, that's a lot more advanced than I could get into. But I will tell you this. Then I can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you, from, from you, a natural no, standpoint. You, it, you could not believe it, but you would be being irrational because, and I'm not saying this is any kind of like put down or anything. You're, this is a very good question. <laughs> the general accepted understanding in science is that the universe came out of nothing. No one contends that that doesn't get shredded. There are a few fringe people who try to because they don't want to believe in God, and the physicists shred them. It is, yeah, this is what, this is what this consensus says. So if you want to not believe it, you can, but you better have better reasons than the whole consensus of science. So if you want to know how they do it, put in, how do we know the universe came from nothing? And just start with something easy, like a Google search. Okay. Or send me your email, and I, it makes me kind of want to, the fact that you asked this, I haven't had this asked before, that's why I didn't, you know, I just didn't prepare any kind of question for it. So I would, wouldn't mind re-looking at it myself. So if you get an email, give it to Jim, then, then I, could, I could get you a more uh, specific answer. Okay, thanks. Yep, good question. Yeah, I haven't heard that one. Yes? <laughs> if I or somebody felt that they... If I or somebody felt that they were like a nine on the scale that you showed earlier, what were some of the questions that they would be challenged with? Excellent. <laughs> I'll use the Stephen Hawking one. Stephen Hawking said that um, we don't need a god to be the cause of the universe. We know that it was quantum gravity that caused the universe. So if that's what Stephen Hawking says, and he was probably the most famous scientist of our time. Why would I believe him instead of a 3,000-year-old book? Okay. So what, what kind of answer? Do you, do you think you got something? Um. No one has ever answered this. If you do, that would be... <laughs> I'm super impressed she had the bravery to come up and even ask that. Wasn't the Bible, 
it was written by different people and all of their all of the people who read it wrote it would have had to believe in it and the scientists that you're talking about more people might have had an opinion that his way was right but from all the follower all the people who wrote the bible who had just enough blind faith to go on that then not, it's not a that's not, that's a good start actually now at, the thing is though the people in the Bible did not have a blind faith. Everyone in the Bible had very good reasons to believe in God. Mm-hmm. Moses, who wrote the five books, I, he had very good reasons to believe God. Um, now, and those people who wrote the Bible ended up finding out things about the beginning of the universe that no one, including Hawking, believed. So now we have some evidence that they knew stuff beyond Hawking. So maybe Hawking's wrong. And if you want the actual answer to it, Haw- <laughs> Quantum gravity is a law of nature. It doesn't create anything. It describes how things are done when there is something. The problem was there was no nature. So how is, let's just say gravity even, how is gravity working when there's no nature to work on? If there's no nature, then you just have a law of gravity that has nothing to work on, so it does nothing. Hawking is completely wrong. And the other scientists recognize this, but they, some of them accepted God because of some of the stuff that was found. Others were saying, well, we're just waiting. Okay. Good question. Thank you. Brave question, actually. Yeah. So um, feel free to answer, not answer this. It's, it's a little bit different topic. Mm-hmm. But um, so my um, bachelor's degree is in psychology. And one thing that stood out to me in one of my textbooks, it was... Um, on, like, there's this statement about, um, it was, like, with illnesses or something like that, where it literally, like, totally science textbook, it said that sometimes, like, people will forgive, and then they see physical healing. Like, it said that in my science textbook. Mm. It couldn't reference God, but it specifically stated it wasn't, like, a psychosomatic illness. Oh, yeah. So, I was just curious if, like in your science communities and stuff you're connected with, if you'd heard more of that, that or like, like with the neuroscience and oh, yeah. healing, what I I'd just be curious to hear more about. Great that. question. I have an article that I was just given. That it's a scientific article in a peer-reviewed scientific journal. That's one of the most respected out there. That's basically the title is something about um, prayer led to miracle cure, and it just documented everything. So I, there, that's just one. I'm not even looking for the articles, but because you know because. Uh, there, Craig Keener has book, two books, uh, Miracle Volume 1 and 2, that documents a bunch of them. But the peer-reviewed one, written in a, a very non-Christian, very well-accepted journal, that is, yeah. Uh, again, if you wanted that article, you can email Jim, who will email me, and I'll get it to you. Um, the other thing is, if you... <laughs> I know, and... Oh, he has so many PhDs, I can't keep track of it. He's... Psychology and neuroscientist. He's been at the bed of hundreds of people who have died and came back. He said the first time these things happened, it made the hair stand up on his back, and then he started documenting. Now he said, I don't do it anymore. I can't even tell you how many times this happened. But I would need an explanation. He says, and this is a guy who's doing the same thing I'm doing. So he could be making a lot more money. He's an international consultant, but he's doing what I'm doing. So Clearly, his motivation is something higher. So I, and plus, I, just tr- I know him, so I trust him. Um, but here's what he said. 
Here's one example. So this one guy, um, he, I think he committed suicide maybe, but he, he was dead. They had the, the electroencephalo things on his head, his heart, so his heart wasn't working, brain stopped all electrical activity. Now, what other people will tell you is, well, there can be some, we're just not monitoring it. Yeah, sure, but I, I'm not even gonna try arguing that. Here's what I'm gonna say, and this is what he told me. He said, so the guy's dead. I go down two flights of stairs. I come to the family waiting room. His brother and sister come over here from this direction, and they're both wearing some Disney T-shirts, and they start saying, he's telling me exactly what they're saying. The mom and the dad, they come from different directions. They start saying, and, he, and then he's like, they talk for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden I get this emergency call. Five, ten minutes later, he goes up to the room. The guy's sitting up on the bed. I saw you. You were with my family. My brother and sister were over here when their Disney shirts. They came over here, and then my mom from here. Remember? He explained everything detail to detail. My friend said he just went, and he just, the hair stood up on his back of his neck. He's like, oh. And then, and, but he's had, it's happened so many times now. Now he's just kind of like, eh. <laughs> And he said, he said, he said, I can almost guarantee you know someone that had a, an NDE, a near-death experience, but people don't like talking about it because they don't want to be judged as weird. But what he said is, he said, you give me some explanation other than something leaves our body after the physical body is gone, is dies. Give me, give me an explanation. Try to explain that. There, there isn't anything. <laughs> now, you guys don't know Dr. William Guy. So you can say, I, I don't believe it. Okay, fine. If you don't want to, you want to just discount it, that's fine. But um, then, you know, at that point, then I would just usually go to my other evidences and stuff. But for me, that's really powerful. Because yeah. I know the guy, and I know he's being genuine, and he's documented that stuff. So, yeah. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so I actually have a set of questions, but they're pretty related. So I believe in creation that God created the heavens and the earth in seven days, but where exactly do dinosaurs fit in with all that? I would, see, I would, um, that you're, you're going to have to probably say when they talk about like some of the words they use, like behemoth or leviathan or something like that, you probably have to say they fit there. Um, in the context of it, I don't think so. I think those were, to me, I thought those were animals that they were, like ungulates and other th things that they were used to doing their, um, in the civilization they lived at at the time. I would have a very hard time trying to find where dinosaurs fit. Uh, like I said before, I don't really care how old the earth is, so I don't bend over trying to figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I just go with whatever... It, whatever they tell me. I mean, if they want to say 65 million years ago it was when you had Tyrannosaurus Rex, well, whatever, that's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't affect the biblical view at all. Um, if all of a sudden God tells me, no, 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 yeah, it's 6,000 years old or 10,000, whatever, then I'm doing a hard research study trying to see where they fit. Because right now I don't really, um, I don't really see it. No, but then again, though, Here's the other thing about the Bible. Uh, the Bible doesn't give everything. The Bible doesn't list a lot of animals that we're familiar with. Um, it, I think insects. I don't even know if it mentions insects in there. Not that I remember. Oh, it, oh in Ecclesiastes it does? Okay. Um, but, you know, the Bible doesn't give us every detail because that's not its purpose. It's not trying to... It's, 
its main focus in Genesis was saying, God did this. He created you with a purpose. That's the main thing. So a details like dinosaurs, that is something you'd have to do some more study on. And like for me, I don't really see where they, I don't see where they'd fit really. It'd be hard for me to figure out. Gotcha. Well, the second part of my question was that if God made everything in seven days, are we looking at, you know, just the word days too literally? Well, it depends. And why do we use like, days? You, they use yam to mean a bunch of different things because they only had so many words to work with. So right. when they say yam, now, you, in a biblical study, if I did a biblical study, I think there's a good argument to be made that it means like 24, 12 hours or 24. I think there's a good argument for it. And in fact, that's where I would go if I didn't run into some other things like day six. Day six, that may, I can't imagine God telling us all this happened on day six without giving something else because that makes no sense at all. Like, I use some hyper time at this point. So Adam's one day was a thousand years, you know. So, but he doesn't do that. So I have to now extrapolate now. To me, just because of that, but there, there's a few other reasons why I don't, I don't think it was literal days, but again, I could be wrong. So don't, don't take it like I'm, I could totally be wrong on this. All right, thank you. Yep. I think the important thing for creation is in the beginning, God. Yeah. Yep. I like, like let's, let's stand on that one. You know, I think, yeah, I'm just not willing to die on the hill of one of the things. You know, when I see there's evening, there's morning, there was day one, to me it seems more like a 24-hour period. You know, I don't have all the science to go with it, but if you're just looking strictly from biblical. But when I, when I talk to people outside the walls of the church, that's not something I'm willing to die on. I'm just, it's right. just, in the beginning, God, I'm, you know, I'll stand on that one. The rest of it, it's not worth arguing. So I, I appreciate Scott's approach on that. I just wanted to make sure I didn't forget this, so I wrote it down. Um, so I want to make sure I have this correct first. You were talking about, like, the Bible has the one theory, and then there's everything else, right? Or two competing theories, if you will, yes? Well, the Bible had one theory, and then there's a whole bunch right. of other theories right. that said there was no beginning, right. but they did it in different yes. ways, yeah. Okay. So um, if we're looking at theories, um, theories from, a, like, a scientific standpoint um, are things that are testable, and they have to be accurate and specific in order to be, like, considered a valid theory that can then be gone through the scientific procedure. So if the Bible is vague and open-ended on a lot of those things, is it then considered a viable theory to be tested and put through the scientific method? Great question. Why, why would you think it's vague? Well, because you, you mentioned that it was open-ended and not specific in a lot of areas. Oh, it's open-ended and non-specific in things like age, mm -hmm. um, because in every aspect of it, I can give you very good reasons to think it's young, right. but I can also give you the competing side that it's old. To me, it's, it's too vague for me to, like, like Jim said, die on, because it doesn't affect salvation at all, <laughs> whatever. But um, as far as saying that there was a beginning to all natural universe, people don't realize it wasn't a 50-50 thing. No one thought there was a beginning because that makes crazy, that's crazy talk. All, even space, everything didn't exist and then it came into existence. That's crazy talk. So that is very specific. And saying that time also had a beginning and it began with space and it began from not was visible and it follows fixed laws. We were trying to disprove that we have fixed laws even up until this, with this year. But every evidence that we keep getting is like, yeah, they're fixed. 
So the Bible is super specific. It's not vague at all on some things. But on other things it is. And on the things where it is vague is where we just got to be careful. So care comes in when it's not specific. Yeah, you got to be real careful then. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Good question. One way to say it is when God shouts, we shout. When he whispers, we whisper. And so on those things, in the beginning, God, really clear. On the other stuff, he's whispering. We don't need to be as dogmatic. Yeah. Do aliens exist? Great question. <laughs> oh, it'd be so... I tell you what, it would be so... I love the alien thing only because I love science fiction. So <laughs> it makes all my favorite stories and everything. And pretty much everyone believes that there had to be aliens. If you look at the old Battlestar Galactica, every place that ship ran into, there was aliens. Did you see the new series? Ooh, the new series is getting it right in ways that other science fiction stories are not. In the new series, they, they're just looking for a planet that even has water. And they said, this is like a needle in a haystack. And the scientist said, no, it's more like a grain of sand on a beach. There are other planets that have water. But it's not, this isn't a Chia Pet. You don't just add water and you get life. <laughs> Here is the scientific understanding right now. There is life nowhere but right here. If you look at how... You ever see the... What was it? Apollo 13? Apollo 11? What's the one where it had some issues? 13? It is super hard to keep life going in space. People don't get this. It's super hard. You have one little thing go wrong. Oh. And we just had to keep them alive for a few days. you got to keep us alive to the point where we get where we're at. They're, starting from the 1980s, they started finding these things where, oh, isn't that interesting? That had to be just at the right value or we wouldn't have life. That's interesting. Oh, there's another one. From the 80s up until today, it's gone like this. They thought this would go away with more science. With more science, it is now at the point where they say this. <laughs> Literally, this, these are your only two choices. This is a whole other talk t t about fine-tuning, and it ties in with your purpose of life. But the bottom line is this. You only have two choices now. Either the universe was finely tuned for life to exist on only this planet, or I shouldn't say only this finely tuned for a conscious life to exist. Or there is a specific type of multiverse. Now, the idea of a multiverse, you're going to start hearing it more and more because it's the only escape to get away from God right now. And it gets worse. Max Tegmark, who started talking about this, there's, only, there's like different types of multiverses. I got no problem with God being super creative and having other universes. It doesn't talk about in the Bible, so what am I to know? I don't know. He's creative, but I don't know anything about it. But in order for their, everything in this universe to be exactly right, just like the way it is, the scientists are calling it a Goldilocks universe. The reason why they're calling it that is the odds against it are absolutely impossible. The only way you can beat those odds is if you have a specific type of multiverse, an infinite multiverse, which basically means this. This is what you're going to have to believe. There is a universe that's the exact same as ours in every way up to right now, except that you're wearing a red shirt, and I'm a woman. 
Oh, and we're living on a planet called China, and the sky is purple. Now, every, but, and it's equally real as this. There's an equally real universe where you decided not to come up and ask a question, and it really exists out there somewhere. Everything else is the same but that. Basically, everything that is physically possible, every possible choice you could make, everything that is not logically absurd is an equally real universe out there somewhere. Literally, there has to be written in stars in the sky, I am God, I created this, I exist, stop trying to get away from me, written in stars somewhere in one of those universes. Because it's logically, it's possible. So, you either have to believe in an infinite multiverse, which there's no scientific evidence for the infinite multiverse, there's tons of logical problems, evidence is all against it, or you have to believe in a purposeful creator, which has massive evidence for it. So, scientists, when they talk about it though, they know the public wants to hear there's aliens, so they'll say, I want to believe, <laughs> just like me. They're saying, I want to believe that, that aliens exist and they're out there, they've got, but what you'll see in the real literature that scientists write between each other, where they slam on each other if they say anything stupid, they're like, no. So the way they turn this around is now Lawrence Krauss, he wrote a book on this, and he said, we exist only in this little cradle here. So now his argument is, it used to be, well, with the universe so vast, and it is vast, in the talk that I give on the, the fine-tuning, it's unbelievable how vast the universe is, but there's only life right here. By the math, there's only life right here, by physics and math. Now, what Lawrence Krauss did, he admits that now, but he's a very outspoken atheist. He's the guy who gives all the direction on Star Trek, the science direction on Star Trek. That's Lawrence Krauss. But he's very anti-God. And one of the things that he says is, he's like, yep, okay, there's no life anywhere, only here, but if there's a God, why would he create us in just this little tiny cradle here? My answer to that, when I was challenged with that, is I was like, who's restricted to cradles? We restrict babies to cradles. Because even in just this little cradle of earth, we find ways to go off and look at things aside from God. Can you imagine if we had all of space? So we need to be restricted in a little cradle. <laughs> and that's what science has found. Life is probably only here. Now, could you have some bacteria out there somewhere? Oh, sure, sure. There could be bacteria and some things out there. So what? <laughs> it doesn't change any of the evidence that there's God. Yep. Oh, I've, excellent questions. You guys are killing it. Mine's not that good. <laughs> but um, I love that you opened up talking about youth and how they're being challenged mm -hmm. and some are walking away. I have a 13 and a 12-year-old at home that I'm homeschooling, and I was just loving to know any resources that you could uh, point me to, to um, for them, for them to help build up, not, not just their apologetics, but but even more than the curriculum that I'm giving them. What, is, what are some resources you really So eventually, when I, my, my website's going to be thoughtfulbeliefs.org. It's only partly done right now. The way I do it is, I start off, if you ever want to get anybody wherever they're at towards belief, I have a, the first section is, why, this is, is, is a, why should I care? Because you've got to show them it's important because most people don't think it is. Next section is, well, how can I know? Most people, not most, a lot of people in our culture don't believe in truth. So how can you know what's true, and then I go into the scientific evidence and so on. But I don't think that'll be, and then I have a whole frequently asked questions section. And when that gets done, it'll be filled out nice and everything. However, with yours, if you want a specific curriculum, 
Ah, there's several I could recommend. J. Warner Wallace, he, and I actually, I tested this guy to see how genuine he was because he's one of the guys I went to Berkeley with. And um, he gave a very excellent presentation on why would you believe that Jesus was resurrected. Now, he went, and I went up to him afterwards, just to see if he's genuine. I was like, this is really good stuff. I really want to, this guy to take off because this is great. Let's see how genuine he is. I went up to him and I said, that's an excellent PowerPoint. I can, and I could tell he spent a lot of time on it. I was like, can I get on my flash drive? I'd like to use it to help some people at my church. He's like, oh yeah, just bring up your flash drive. I was like, good man. This guy was a rabid atheist and he's a cold case detective. Kind of good, because Jesus is a very, very cold case. That's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. So this guy has never lost. His last case was against one of OJ's attorneys and smoked him too. He never loses these cold cases. He's been on Dateline. His name's Jay Warner Wallace. He's been on Dateline more than any other person um, for this area, because he's just so good. So he's like, hey, I'm a cold case detective. I'm going to go disprove Jesus. And that's how he became a Christian. He's, oh, and he's not the only one. You want to see miracles, lawyers are getting to heaven because of this. The guy, one of the guys responsible for getting Harvard Law School to where it was at, and the guy, Lionel LeCou, who is, he's a prosecuting attorney who it's so hard to win a prosecution case, he's never lost. He has a, he's Guinness Book of World Records. These people are becoming Christians because they were forced to, like in Greenleaf's case, he was teaching at Harvard and he was teaching about Jesus and one of his students said, well, who cares? about this part of it. The guy said he's God. What about that? And Greenleaf is like, huh, yeah. I should look into that. He looked into it, became a Christian, wrote a book about it. So J. Warner Wallace has a curriculum for kids. Cross-examined. Oh, so his would be um, cold case Christianity. If you want one, uh, I think crossexamined.org has stuff. Frank Turk's an excellent guy. Very genuine. Reasonablefaith.org. That is... They have good stuff. The guy who's the head of it, William Lane Craig, he's at the highest level of academic philosophy. Most of his stuff you have to read ten times before you understand it. But I think they made kid stuff. uh, There's also something... uh, uh, Reasons to, reasons to believe they have a curriculum. That is a group of scientists. They have a chemist, a biologist, a couple of physicists. Okay, thank you. Uh, one other question. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a book earlier by Greg Kopel, Three Ways to Answer Any Questions. Okay, that's called Tactics. Tactics. Okay. Yeah, the thank book you. is good. A talk on it is probably... The thing you're going to want to do is you're going to want to practice it. Um, but yeah, Tactics by Greg Kokel, it's, it's about that thick, it's good. How do you spell Kokel? K, oh, good question, K-O-U-K-L. K, no, yeah, no kidding, that's a weird name. K-O-U-K-L. You kind of already spoke into this just now, but um, I was just wondering, because you talked a lot about um, getting somebody to the place where they have to recognize that 
not believing in intelligent design and God is irrational. So I was just wondering how you um, transition into talking about Jesus and how Ooh. Jesus is scientifically Great question. That's a great question. Okay, so the whole goal is the, the, all these giving answers, without question, it is super serious. The church has ignored it, and we're suffering massively because of it. But the whole goal of it is, is to just remove barriers and let God do his saving work and get, to get people to have that relationship with God. So once you remove, most of them want science first. That's what the studies say. Once you try to remove that barrier, then you say something like this. Okay, we just showed you what God exists through the fine-tuning evidence, through the cause of the universe, the beginning of the universe, whatever. Once you get past that point, you say, well, did that God... Well, see, Einstein, when he found this stuff, he's like, whoa, there's a God. Did you become a Christian? No. He thought God's some disinterested, detached deity. He created, and then I'm done. Okay, so do we have any evidence that this purposeful creator didn't just walk away but has a real purpose? and made himself very personal? Oh yeah, we do, that's where Jesus comes in. Then you can say, you know, the whole fact that a God exists, there's a lot of people believe that and they'll never have a relationship with him. He has a very, everything that this God, biblical God did, like some people believe in, they believe in a God, but then they believe in good personism. I'm a good person, so I'm not perfect, but I'm good, so if there's a God, he'll let me into heaven. I was like, well, that sounds really good. Because I had this talk, had this talk with this guy, he was some kind of engineer or something, and he said he didn't believe in God, and then I gave him some evidence. Five minutes later, he's like, okay, there's a God. And I was like, your belief system changed really fast. You've got to realize you're on some shaky ground, right? And then he said, wow, I'm a good person, so if there is a God, I'll get into heaven. I was like, well, that sounds really good. What evidence, why do you believe in a good personism God? Because all the evidence I gave you is for a God who saves by grace, and nothing that you're doing matters as far as that's concerned. It's a grace thing. I have evidence for that. I don't have evidence for yours. So why am I going to base my life on yours? That's craziness. I didn't say it like that. <laughs> they will forget any argument you make if, you're not, if you don't show Jesus coming through. You can even be really... This one guy who did a debate at U of M, and I, told, I literally said to him, you're not prepared for this. Don't let your arrogance get in the way. Give it to me or someone else who knows what they're talking about. He didn't. And he went, and I wouldn't even go watch it because I, was, I didn't want to see the slaughter. He did get slaughtered intellectually, exactly like I said. The only thing was, this guy is so sweet. In his getting just brutalized, he showed this love. And I know people connected with that. They were rooting for him. The atheists were rooting for him, some of them. <laughs> it, when, when you see there's something different, you're like... I want that. How in the world can he be like that? And then, now I've got off your question. It was, oh, to Jesus. How you bring it back? Okay. So, you show there's a God. You then say, you know, do you really think this God did all this creating and then just walks away? That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Or did he make himself more personal by coming as a person? And then you go in the evidence for Jesus. Now, Jesus' resurrection, that's not a scientific question. That's outside of science, because that's a miracle. That's, that's outside of science. You don't bring science into it. What is that? It's a cold case. You use historical scholarship. When you use historical scholarship, this is awesome. Using all the scholars. Now, most, most scholars, biblical scholars, uh, most of them are non-Christian. 
So this isn't like a bias thing. But this is a whole big talk. Let me just say, all the scholarship believes will we'll say, okay, we'll grant you these facts. We'll grant these to you. Using those facts, there's only so many things that could have happened to Jesus. The whole thing's a legend. People are lying about it. It's conspiracy. He's a nutcase. Oh, I'm God. I'll save you. you know, and it's worth dying for me because there's a bigger thing. You are a lunatic and a self-deluded fool, if that's not true. There's only so many options you have as far as Jesus. Based on the evidence that the scholars accept, only one is rational. He is who he claimed, and he was resurrected. It's a talk. You could probably get it in. It, would take, take, it, it takes a little while to go through. Cold Case Christianity covers it, but they make it really long. In the end, you want to be able to give this in about two minutes because that's all someone's going to give you. And you can. The cool thing about this is it's called Minimal Facts. Gary Habermas <coughs> is the one who did this one. Habermas and somebody else. It might have been Keener. I don't know if Keener was involved. But, um, yeah, they said, Here, here's facts all the scholars accept. Based on these facts, there's only one rational conclusion. And they're right. In fact, here's where non-believers are at. They'll say, like when people try to say, I, the atheist president was just hammering on some Christians saying, oh, Jesus never existed or anything like that. And then I was like, well, why do you believe that? Oh, well, clearly, you know, and they tried to give some answers. I was like, you realize you're going against all scholarship, right? There's not a single scholar that has a PhD, writes in peer-reviewed literature that would agree with you because they'd be shredded. And then she's like, okay, he existed. And I used the same thing on her. I was like, your whole belief system just changed real fast. And then she said, but he had, he was only in a coma and the disciples had hallucinations. I, oh yeah. No, and this was the atheist president, really smart girl at UC Berkeley. I gave the evidence behind it. So basically, I was like, there is the hallucination theory, the coma theory, the twin theory, the conspiracy theory, all these theories about Jesus, there's only a handful. Scholarship has rejected all of them. But there is evidence for the resurrection, very strong, good evidence. But what the scholars say now who don't want to accept Jesus is, something happened, we just don't know what, happened, what it was. Again, that's a logical fallacy. Evidence is pointing in one direction. You're, 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 you're walking a different way. So yeah, you definitely, she brings up a main point. You do want to turn it to Jesus because if you're just proving a God exists, a lot of people believe God exists and they have no relationship and they'll never will have a relationship. Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, I guess my question is, uh, with this semester being on uh, supernatural evangelism, one thing that we've been going through is uh, sharing our testimony with people, uh, very short, sweet. So I guess if we find ourselves in talking the science side, where does like personal, like you said like the personal proof and, or that stuff does not fit Well, in a scientific, but like, I guess the whole genre of relationship that's seen in the word and love and uh, emotions and those type of things. Yeah, where does that, really, yes. Where does that fit into science, or is that something that like different? Okay, Rel God's all about relationships, so it's always important. So yeah, you're right to bring that up. Now you have to use your judgment on what's going to work best with the person you're dealing with. If the person knows you really well, 
then yeah, your personal stuff, and especially if they're looking at how you've been living and why, why are you so different, or they just, they trust you, yeah. then you use the personal stuff for sure. If they're having hangups like all the studies say most people do on the science and other stuff, well, then you use that, but then you go to the other stuff. You always go back to relationship, but um, most of the people in our culture have issues with the science and not getting my doubts answered and stuff like that. So you need to di discern where their hang-up is, and then you go after that hang-up. Now, if you're not if equipped to answer questions, if that's their hang-up, you're out, you're out of luck. Because if you look at these uh, the street epistemologists, what these atheists are doing, they'll, they'll go to you and say, um, they'll say, why do you believe? And it, the Christians go back to either raised that way or believe in the Bible or had some experience, and they said, yeah, so do Muslims. So do whatever. And then where do you go from there? If they don't know you, they can't really trust your personal experience. And in fact, now people say, well, that's not my gift. My gift is not answering questions. It's in how I live. Oh, yeah, that's totally true. My mom, she doesn't know squat about the science that I cover. Well, she does now. She knows some of it. But she's this, people always talk, remember and talk about my mom, that there's something different about her. But she still learned that she learns enough where she invites Mormons in and will talk with them, even though she's terrified of stuff. Because even though it's not her thing, God, God doesn't care what your thing is. He calls Moses, he calls Joshua, he calls people that they're like, this isn't my thing. And he's just like, it's me. Don't do your thing. Just do it. Step out there and do it. So you need to be prepared on both ends. And whatever's going to kind of work, you know, work for them. But, yeah, that's, um, but he's right, though. I mean, in the end, everyone wants relationship, and that's what God's all about. So you want to get them there. Some people just not, might not be able to get there. Um, and, you know, as far as just, like, being a good person, Mormons got us beat. They do. I mean, I try to be more like a Mormon physicist that I worked with. He's a better person than I was in his acts. You know why, though? It all works. So they're working their hardest to not drink coffee, not drink beer, be super sweet all the time. And I like him more than I like me, honestly. <laughs> but the problem is the facts don't support his side. He's a very smart man. And when we talked about, we had talks all the time during lunch about science, because I knew that's what would reach to, and in the end, he realized exactly where the evidence pointed, and he said to me, the very last conversation we had about this, we never talked about it again, because he didn't want to. He said, well, Scott, do you think God will just accept me, because even though I'm going after something different, you know, I'm still trying to be good and everything like that. And I said, I know that sounds really good, but there's no evidence that that, that God exists. God wants you to put him first over everything. So I think you and I should both be able to agree that whatever costs you're going to face, and a Mormon will face serious costs when they step away, whatever costs you're going to face, it's going to be dwarfed by an eternity. And if that God wants him to be put first, even over family or anything else like that, I, don't think, there's, I think there's only one decision to make on it. So he realized whose God was right, but 
if people were just judging based on who is a better person, he would win. Mormon, people, they, <laughs> my place would convert to Mormonism. Good evening. My question could be off topic, but I have two questions. Yeah. One is that uh, we know that Adam and Eve have uh, just three sons, Cain, Abel, and Seth. My question is that where did their wives come from? And when I've, when I've had, had conf conversations with some of them, they said that, you know, the entire creation of God is not pictured on, in the Bible, so they could be coming from, you know, elsewhere than the garden. I do not know about it. I want a clarity on that. And then the second question is that we know that Jesus died and resurrected after three days. So even the scriptures talk about it, like, you know, after three days, he would be rising. So my question is, why three days? And if so, what did he do in those three days? Great question. I have an awesome answer for it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll try to help you out a little bit. Yeah. All right, the Adam and Eve one... Um, you know, I just looked into this not that long ago, and I had a really good answer for it, but I just can't remember what it was specifically, because I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is good, but it was a little bit too new, so I'm kind of forgetting it, but the Bible does not give us all the details, so it doesn't mention anything about, like, yeah, your, your question, if you just read the Bible just straight literally, it looks like they should have only had them. And where did these wives all of a sudden pop in? It's because the Bible just didn't explain anything else to give more details. There's a lot of different ways it could have happened. All kinds of different ways God could have done it. It could have been other creation kind of events, like you're saying, just he built something over. It could be a lot of things. I would just talk to someone who knows more of an expert, specifically Bible, you know, talk with Jim and Mary, um, and then you can look into it like that, but I don't know if you'll ever have an answer because God didn't really care enough about that detail to give us the details. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as what did Jesus do during the three days, that one is another one that I'm kind of interested in myself. And again, it's not in my area of expertise so I am in the same boat as you pretty much. Um, I've heard people say that uh, there's a lot of things. I don't even want to say because I don't want to give credence to something when I'm this uninformed on it. I'm real sorry to do that for you. No, thank you. <laughs> All I can say is both very interesting, good questions. Um, I'm not, I don't have good answers for them. Thank you. Yeah. So it's something very interesting to think about, and you can look into it, but unless they give very specific, they find something specifically biblical that gives you an answer, I don't think anyone has the answer for it. Thank you. Yeah, and she was a good one to bring up at the end because there are times where you don't know the answer. So what? You're not, you don't need to. If someone asks you something you don't know, in some of those videos that I did, took of Christians, you should have seen them, just, uh, and just making up stuff. And I'm like, oh, no, whoa, whoa, wow. That really turns people off. What they want is genuineness. And out of a Christian, that's what they better be getting. So just say, huh, interesting question. I haven't looked into that. Let me get back with you. Then go to my website that has frequently asked questions, get an answer, go right back to them, give them something to think about. And there's a bunch of other websites I can give you, too, 
that, that have, the only reason why I did mine was I wasn't totally satisfied with the others, but the others have right now way more content than me and they're very good. You can get very good information out there. All right. Awesome. Yeah, wasn't that good? Thank you, Scott. Yeah, I remember we had a uh, we had a, a man come into our life who was, uh, you know, he was raised in the church, just burned, uh, just was, was done with it, was an atheist, and he was just on such an intellectual level above me. I didn't have answers to his questions, but I said, man, I've never had those questions the way I was raised, and I said, let me get you some answers. So I got him some different books, and he just tore through them and loved them. You know, those, like Scott was saying, that gets you to the point of removing barriers, but you still have to encounter Jesus at some point. You know, and so I remember... Yeah, and so he ended up getting wonderfully saved, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So, but those get you to the door. You know what I'm saying? They still, they still need that encounter, and that's why I think the personal comes through so good. So great questions, gang. Hope you had fun. And, uh, you know, Scott's open to coming back and doing that thing where he trains you in the three-question method. And so I think that would be a lot of fun too. So especially if he moves here, God bless you guys. Have a good night. <laughs>